0: Stop! You violated the law! It's the full preview podcast. UFC 290. Okay, let's fucking go. I'm Fenyo from the fight side. This is the full preview. This is UFC 290, this is the podcast where I preview every single fight from the first prelim to the main event, and this is a good one, to be honest. Um, Most of the fights are pretty interesting, uh, barring so late replacements that are kind of tragic, to be honest, but other than that, like, most fights here are pretty interesting, I'm very pumped, I mean, always when it's... It is a Volkanovski fight with, you know, and those always get me pumped. You can put whatever on the on the undercard. And I'm going to watch because I, I think he's the best fighter in the world right now. So I would not miss this. And he's fighting a tricky matchup on this time around. So even more excited, but we will get eventually to that one. Um, So, yeah, I mean, as usual. We're going by topology order from bottom to top and let's get right into it. The first fight of the night is a lightweight bout between Camuela Kirk and Stefan Ribovich. so Kirk, um, he used to be a huge featherweight, but right now it's moving up to 155. He fights behind a long lead hand looking to jab or frame and circle to set up like pot shots at distance. He has pretty good form and power on his strikes. He stays balanced, he can put combos together, and he's also good at finding strikes in transition. He likes uh, time and space to set up strikes and his defense mostly consists on framing, a a, a high elbow shell, or moving his feet. So he's not very big on head movement and that means he's open to counters when he's attacking or when he's getting swarmed. He's a good grappler and a wrestler. Uh, very committed against fighting grips and the use of the gauge to well walk to stay on his feet. And he has pretty good uh, jiu-jitsu fundamentals. Uh, tries to never stay flat on his back, always looking to control limbs. So pretty good. Uh, we haven't seen much of his offensive wrestling at elite uh, level. So not sure how he looks. But he he's a high level grappler according to... To commentary booth, mostly they always bring up that he's a high-level guy. Gr- I don't know if he used to be a, like a competitive jujitsu guy, but but yeah, he seems to be pretty good. Uh, on the other hand, we have Ribovich. Uh, I would describe as an aggressive combination puncher. Uh, switches stances and can put meaningful combinations from both. He keeps volume with the one twos or jabs and waits for the counter. He can adapt to reactions, especially going to the body. If people react to the jab faint, and he also has like decent uppercuts in, in close quarters. He has good trigger from counters, but he doesn't move his head much, uh, neither forwards or Ni- neither moving forwards or sitting back. Like he's mostly like just a trade guy, not moving his head a lot. Uh, he's a decent BJJ player and a scrambler. He favors Kimura's a lot, uh, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, he finds Kimuras from like every position, like uh, obviously like an answer to body locks or to create scrambles on the ground. But yeah, but he's actually good with it. He can be taken down especially by leg attacks he, since he's very striking oriented and keeps like his hands up so watch out for for single legs and, and double legs against him. This is an interesting fight as both guys have sharp offense and neither move their head much as I said in the descriptions. I would say Kirk has tighter form but Ribovich is the more fluid striker if that makes sense. If Ribovich can push a pace this would be his fight to lose because his combination punching is better equipped to exploit Kirk's defense than vice versa, I would, I would say. And also like he's more comfortable in firefights while Kirk does not like being pressured. He does You know Kirk likes to have a clean fight and Ribovich doesn't mind like getting dirty out there. Kirk's ground game might be his path to to victory here, but Ribovich seems good enough of a scrambler with his Kimura shenanigans. To at least keeping the defeat, especially against a non-dedicated wrestler. So my pick here is Rimovich by third round knockout. Next fight we go down to flyweight and it's Shannon Ross versus Jesus Aguilar. So Ross, uh, a scrapply veteran from the Australian circuit, he's getting his third chance in the UFC, uh, I think, and he also lost uh, a fighting contender series. but but he I would describe as a a scrappy veteran, he puts quick combinations with the hands especially in the counter, can kick well in open space, Uh, very tough, good cardio, can dig deep if needed, but he can be hit in the pocket as his head tends to stop moving especially during prolonged exchanges. Uh, And he can also be surprised with same-time counters in open space when he's looking for his own openings. Uh, his power, I would say, is kind of on the average size, and also like his athleticism. He's not a bad athlete, but you know, like flyweight is run by these insane athletes, so he's, he's kind of mid on those uh, on those terms. Uh, he can lack physicality in close quarters as well. On the other hand, we have Aguilar, uh, an athletic and stocky wrestler boxer. He doesn't have a lot of craft to either the wrestling of or the boxing but he has power and pushes a, ha- a very high pace, mostly close distance with big hooks and looks to drop for the legs looking for takedowns and can finish double legs with good entries, but can rush finishes to the single legs and clinch takedowns often. And we've seen him like end up on bottom position because of that. He's a decent scrambler from the bottom and has like pretty good submission defense, to be honest. From top, he's heavy and uses his short frame to land powerful ground and pound. Uh, and he is a specialist with Guillotin's. He has a lot of finishes by Guillotin's and has a pretty good one, actually. And he's also very good at defending them. Uh, this one is a hard to call because Ross should have the technical edge and and for once uh, like a decent size or at least a length advantage. But Aguilar is powerful and doesn't get tired as you would expect from someone that throws so hard and goes for so many takedowns. I mean, really going back and forth in this one. As I can see, like, both ways, uh, but at the end, I think I trust Aguilar's physicality to give him bigger moments in every round, especially because he doesn't get tired. I think that's the DX the factor. If Aguilar was, like, most prone to gas, I would pick uh, Ross pretty easily, but this one is very close as Aguilar has, like, a decent gas tank. Uh, I'm going Aguilar by decision, but not pretty sure on this one. Now this Abanaway one. And it's Cameron Simon versus Terence Mitchell, a newcomer. So Simon, uh, bouncy switch stance kicker, plays off reactions well, a good stepping jab and usually set up a lot of stuff from the stepping jab, either, either the actual strike or the reaction to it. He can attack the body, put boxing combinations and punctuate them with kicks on all three levels. Uh, his last fight, uh, I would say he move, improved proactive head movement when leaving, will deep into the straight punches or weave out of combinations, but there's still a, a window to time him, especially when he steps in into combinations, uh, as he really lacks meaningful and consistent feints. Uh, his fierce level of defensive wrestling is pretty suspect, but he's a very good scrambler. His dynamic creating space when being controlled, can explode from that positions and find reversals. And the thing with Simon is that he fights very explosive, big, big actions, but he has very good cardio, especially for the pace he pushes. He's very active and has surprisingly decent power. On the other hand, we have Mitchell. Uh, he's lengthy, big and athletic for the weight class, but very wild striking. A lot of loopy shots for a lanky guy, uh, mostly big kicks and swinging with the hands, uh, but he's a decent wrestler. Uh, mostly carried by his dynamism. And he's a proficient a proficient submission grabber once he hits the mat. Not much else is known as he has practically never faced a high level of competition. For uh, an exhibition in TOF where he was like quickly KO'd by Kai France in a in a flyway bout by the way and he's pretty big for 135. And the the dude also hasn't seen a second round since 2014 so A lot of unknowns going from the Mitchell side here. Mitchell also comes at a very short notice, accepting the fight just last week. And frankly, even with a full camp, there's nothing on tape to suggest that he can hang with a fighter of Simon's level. So I'm going Simon by decision, taking it safe here. Move all the way up to light heavyweight. 205 is Vitor Petrino versus Marching Pragnio. Petrino, very athletic. Powerful, strong, but he's very raw. Uh, He has some skills everywhere and his physicality gives him like big margin for error against most opponents. His best face is throwing power on the feet. He's not crafty as a striker, but he has good feel and timing to land his big shots. Uh, Athleticism and decent BJJ fundamentals allowed him to hold his own as an offensive wrestler. And he's urgent about defending in the ground to get to top position or back to his feet. He gets tired because everything he does is, are big movements. You very rarely see Petrino throw like a subtle jab or something like that. Even when he jabs, he's very powerful, big action stuff. But the good thing is that he carries power late and he can still push when he's tired. He has that mental fortitude going on and the shin seems pretty good. On the other hand, we have Prakneo, the veteran on this one. He keeps a long distance with his kicking pretty high activity and variety with the kicks, uh, from both stances by the way. If the opponent closes distance he has the right hand like ready to fire. He's better at neutral space than when he's forced to move forwards as his defense can't be lackluster without the ability to move backwards. Uh, Decent conditioning and toughness but he can be hurt by shots that he doesn't see coming, especially in exchanges when he's throwing with his hands he can lose track of what his opponent is doing. Decent defensive wrestler, and he can work his way back up to his feet if needed. This one is another one that is hard to call. Oh, Pragnio has the best process, um, and kickers who can maintain distance are like tricky to deal for inexperienced fighters. But Petrino brings the big power to the table that has troubled Pragnio in the past. Even in the, f- the fights against a power puncher that he won against round 3, Pragnio still got hurt very badly and Petrino isn't really afraid to get into messy exchanges and that was one thing that Pragno used to his advantage against Roundtree, Roundtree wanted to to keep the fight clean and Petrino will just go for it if he feels like he needs to. Pragno can for sure win this one, especially if it goes late and he tires Petrino with his body kicks, that's totally probable but I'm picking Petrino to win via first round knockout. The next one is another flyweight bout between Edgar Chires and Tatsuro Taira. So Chires, a lengthy boxer, big for the weight class, good hand speed and based on athleticism. He complements his game with powerful kicks and dynamism, but can work consistently without throwing everything with power, that's a good asset that he has. He can move his head well in the pocket, but defense can be lackluster if he gets to back up like if he st- plants his feet on the in the pocket he can move his head well but if you make him back up like the chin is right up in the air. Uh, very sketchy first layer of takedown defense but he's a good scrambler and active from guard especially with elbows and dangerous with the triangle choke. Tyra, athletic, strong and big for the weight class, long kicks and punches, very good at catching reactive clinches and also competent at shooting at open space. White bones' stance leaves him vulnerable to leg kicks, but allows him to cover distance quickly. That kind of karate style that we've seen on so many Japanese fighters. Crafty body lock takedowns against the cage, and can chain attempts decently well. Now, if he gets to the top, he's very smothering. Uh, a bona fide top position player, especially mount and back mount. Very heavy and good ground and pound but will still sell out for submission opportunities, especially during transitions. Cardio and toughness during long fights are still unknown at this level for Tyra. So Chires here has the size, striking ability, and athleticism during scrambles to make this interesting, maybe, but I would say an upset is very unlikely, as Tyra specializes at controlling scramblers and making them pay for their rabbits. Chires should have a decent advantage on the feet but his wrestling level is not up to par to keep it on the feet. I think against a grappler like Tyra, Uh, Tyra by first round submission is the pick. The next fight is a rematch at 205. Jimmy Crute and Alonso Manningfield that fought to a draw on their last fight are here to give us another one. So Manningfield, I would say, has shown very improved striking from his last outings. Uh, mostly fights behind one-twos and waiting for cross counters, dipping his head after the right hand and taking angles after combinations. That was was allowing him to outstrike Crude on the first fight pretty comfortably, I would say. And manyfield also looked solid from top position uh, from over-unders in the clinch. The big problem for Manyfield were uh, the conditioning and the defensive wrestling. He just allowed Crude to get to his hips too many times and he had to work so much to get back to his feet. And that was what ended up tiring him, I would say more than the like the big mo- motion wrestling. I think he dialed back a lot of the big strikes that he used to use in the past and that was like a big improvement. But the defensive wrestling, especially for someone as strong as Manifield, you cannot let a guy get to your hips so often. And on the side of Crude, solid wrestling, and uh, had the better conditioning of the two. He had trouble with many fields power and tire mechanics as uh, Crude, like, Crude is not a bad striker, like he has some decent fundamentals, he keeps his hands up, but he's a little bit on the roadside and he got hit a ton and had trouble controlling Alonso in the ground early in the fight. But when the fight went deep, he was too damaged to take advantage of his better conditioning and the wrestling. So despite being the, the fresher fighter, he was too tired to finish or actually get a lot of damage going. Uh, it's of note that Crude won the first, bout, the first bout on the strength of a point deduction uh, because Manyfield grabbed the cage uh, like two or three times. So he got a point deduction on the third round that was the only one that Crude won. So even though I think Crude is like the more complete and smarter fighter, I think the rematch here favors Manyfield, he most likely will still have the striking advantage and just need to make adjustments on the defensive wrestling and like obviously you cannot count on a fire to make those but this is like a rematch, I don't know man, I'm I'm just feeling it. Also nothing guarantees that Crude will be able to survive the early scares this time around, maybe just Manyfield just catches the knockout. this added to the fact that Crude got uh, the draw not on damage, but uh, with a point deduction. As I said, uh, I got a side with Manyfield, and to be honest, I'm not sure Crude survives this time around. Uh, Manyfield by first-round knockout is my pick. And with that, we move to a women's throwaway fight: is Jasmine Hauregi versus Denise Gomes. So Hauregi, aggressive kickboxer, goes in and out with one-twos and setting up leg kicks with her hands. If her opponents back up, she can shift and double and double up with her new lead hand to track them down. Like for example, uh, she throws the jab with the left, steps through with the with the straight right. And then now from south power, she will throw the, the right hook to track an opponent that is circling that way. So that's cool stuff. She carries good power in her hands and is reasonably good adjuster as fight goes on. She's coachable as well and seems to have a pretty decent corner, so that's good when a coachable fighter has a good corner. Not a very proficient wrestler, but she's well-rounded and will use the threat of transitions to break the rhythm of a fight or regain initiative. She's at her best when fighters start feeling her volume and she can put longer combinations together, and they are trying to reset or flee the pocket and she can find big shots there. Gomes, stocky, very powerful. We look to close distance with short combinations or lag big single strikes at range. Cat crush it to the clinch as she doesn't maintain her stance when pursuing opponents. But she does use some tricky stuff with shifts to surprise and land big shots as her last knockout showed us. She's well-rounded and she's that by her strength in the clinch where she can set up elbows, knees and body lock takedowns. Uh, especially when she's the one pressing the opponent against the cage. A solid top control, big run on pound, and that, like, rounds up her game. Uh, Decent cardio for her style. That's another one of those fighters that throw very hard, but can't actually fight the three rounds, so that's good. And she carries her power late, too. This is an interesting matchup between aggressive strikers. Both carry power, sustain volume, but... Reggie is the more busy and technical, while Gomez is more dangerous one, bigger power, more athletic. Reggie being the more mobile one should use that to her advantage because Gomez is comfortable exchanging in close quarters and got good feeling in the pocket, but I'm not sure if she can consistently track someone moving around her, especially someone that is a competent striker not that it's defaulting to move around because they're losing the striking. Uh, Gomes, on her hand, needs to take advantage of Jauregi being hitable early to take over the fight. This one should be a firefight, to be honest, and to me it looks like a conflict. I think it goes distance, and if it goes the distance, I gotta favor Jauregi there. Even though Gomes' gas tank is a lot better than you'd think, uh, and she's comfortable in exchanges. I'm still going uh, with Jauregui by decision. Next one is uh, a welterweight bout, it's Jack Della Maddalena versus Josiah Harrell. So you know Della Maddalena, brutal combination puncher, switches stances but primarily a southpaw, likes to mirror his opponent's stance, cluing power, damaging to the body with hooks from both sides, also a good hot step counters when moving back, good scrambler, can be surprised with takedowns moving forwards. That's one thing to look out for. Uh, he can get into precarious position often, but he stays very composed defending submission attempts. Uh, the thing with Dela is that he's very sharp out of the gate and fights at a high pace and can sustain it for crazy three rounds if he needs to. And Harrell, the short notice replacement that comes here. He's a stocky and athletic southpaw. He likes to fight at a steady pace, Hand fighting, looking for to land 1-2s and heavy kicks. Not a very good takedown artist, but he's physical in the clinch. Very solid from top position though, with heavy ground pound and good control. His finishing move is getting to top back mount, flattening his opponent and pounding out with ground pound for the stoppage. So yeah, let's get this one out of the way. Harder does not have the size to hang with the lead welterweights. So there's a reason that he's been fighting under the 170 limit lately. Even being the Salpa mirror match favors JDM, who is also busier, more damaging striker. There's absolutely no reason here to pick the underdog. Uh, Jack Della Madalena is a better striker, he's a lot bigger, like he's a very big welterweight. And he's one of the best of the world. Uh, so yeah, it sucks that we lost the the Brady fight. It sucks. I mean, it was a very compelling matchup against a very high level grappler. We are not getting to see that on this fight. So, so yeah, uh, the pick is Jack Della la Maddalena by first round knockout. We stay at welterweight for the next one is ruthless Robbie Lawler versus Nico Price. Price, very awkward striker with janky mechanics, but he has good feel for distance and counters. Carries good power into his shots and can surprise with the loopiness of his shots. He's well-rounded, Price can do a little bit of anything and everything, physically strong in the clinch, has a good eye for transitions, and is actually a very solid grappler with great submission defense. Cardio and durability have taken a hit late into this career, but he's still tremendously tough and can fight pretty well tired. On the other hand, we have Robbie Lawler. You know who Robbie Lawler is crafty southpaw, at his best countering while pressuring, but can also put combinations together on the lead, good right hook, double attack with the left hand kick, excellent boxing defense in the pocket, mixing high guard with hip movement. The problem late in his career is that he has an inability to put or sustain volume, and also being right out, lazy in the clinch, and slow to react to takedowns. Volume and pace seemed to be in a good place in the last two fights, but he ended up being overwhelmed by the pressure of uh, Barbarina. To be honest, uh, after watching tape, this one is a lot closer than I thought. Uh, Seeing that Price fights at a much messer pace as of late, uh, his cardio has also decayed. That said, Price can still fight tired and put volume out there when he needs to. But unless Robbie gets, like, super tired, he shouldn't have as much trouble with Nico's Janky offense as other opponents had in the past. Uh, I don't know, I'm feeling that this is a pace that Robbie Laura can actually sustain, unlike, unlike the one against uh, Barbarina. And Price is taking damage in his last few fights and Robbie can still hit, like, he hurt Barbarina, he hurt Nick Diaz, so yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. This is probably the wrong choice, but I'm picking with the heart on this one. I want Robbie Lawler to retire on a win and I'm picking him to win a decision on this one. If you guys, by the way, want to hear more about uh, Robbie Lawler and other southpaws, I was invited by the great Dan Tom to have a discussion about our top five southpaws in MMA. So yeah, I'll leave you guys with a, with a link below so you can check that one out. It's a very long conversation, but a very cool one. So if you want to hear us talk about the coolest of softballs in MMA, check that one out. Moving on to what Abology thinks, seems to think is the main card is another late replacement fight. Bo Nico fights against Valentin Woodburn. So I don't know, man. Bo Nico incredibly decorated wrestler, style seems to have transitioned well to MMA, super athletic, very good eye for submissions, especially during transitions, packs good power, and seems to be developing decently well as a striking, but everything else keeps being an unknown and his last fight against Pickett gave us, gave us nothing. Actually gave us a little bit of information because he was taking a while to get the takedown and he only got it after a very clear low blow, so there's that. And his opponent, Woodburn, a stocky, good athlete, somewhat well-rounded I guess. Uh, puts combos together, but his problem is that he ends up in the clinch a lot. He's physically strong and has good ground and pound, but he's very unproved against high level opposition, maybe even more than Nicol. Woodburn is like just as small for the weight class as the guy that Jack Della is fighting, but matches up even worse against his opponent. <laughs> he spends a lot of time in the clinch, is not big, and will give Bo plenty of opportunities to wrestle him. Bo Nickel by submission in round one is like the only choice I can come up with. The next one is a lightweight bout and should be a good one. Dan Hooker faces off with Jalen Turner. So, Turner. Very long striker that is dangerous from both kicking range and from up close. He changes stances, can throw long one-twos from both stances, plus long snap kicks to the body. Good at counter knees when the opponent tries to close the distance and very dangerous with short hooks and single collar ties from both, and he, if, because he's so long he can find like the single collar ties from mid boxing range or very up close. He does his best work drawing up counters or moving people on the outside on shots. Excellent at working the body and he also has very good ground and pound and decent like front chokes and rear neck choke. Uh, because of his height, his frame and loose clinches, he can be exposed to takedowns, especially takedown entries. He has been getting de- uh, better at defending the takedowns and especially getting up, but he's still like exposed, especially because he fights from uh, an upright stance. Once on the ground, he usually tries to turtle and use his long frame to post wide or elevate his hips to bait uh, a backtake and shrug his opponent off. So that's like Turner's game. And Hooker, a lot of similarities, to be honest. Hooker, also a long striker, hard leg kicks, punching combinations, goes to the body often, very dangerous with knees on the counter as well, but he can also use them well on the leave. Not sure if they come in this uh, matchup because Turner is so tall and fight in the upright stance. Hooker doesn't move his head very well, but he makes good of a high guard and framing to prevent exchanges. Once in the pocket, he throws big hooks and can surprise with knees. But as I said, the head stays on the center line. Uh, he has a good, like decent single leg, double leg change up when pressing against the fence. and from top position also, big ground and pound when posturing up, and he's also good at back takes and front headlock, so yeah, this one is tricky because both guys are not only long, but also like to do a lot of similar stuff, even if the application is different. Both are ambidextrous punchers that go to the body a good amount, and that by itself is a rarity in MMA. Even though Hooker is a more active kicker. Uh, it's probably competitive in open space because Hooker has been kickable himself in the past and usually use his greater length to get away with stuff uh, at kicking range and he's fighting a a longer guy this time around. That said, he might be the better puncher at long range. Turner is very dangerous with the one-two, carries bigger power, I would say, but Hooker is more crafty, setting up stuff with with the hands, I would say, especially at long range. That said, I feel like Turner's style is better suited to deal with the uh, fellow lanky boy because he makes use of head movement in the clinch. I mean, he makes better use of head movement, and also like in the clinch, I would say his style is better used to deal with a guy closer to his size than Hooker's. And Turner will still be the one enjoying the rich and high advantage on this one. That coupled with Hooker losing, a, uh, looking a bit slower in his later fights uh, are making me side with Turner and I think Turner wins the first decision of his career. I think he should have won that against Gamrot, but he will have to settle for this one. Turner by decision. Next one is middleweight, we have the return of Robert Whitaker fighting the Mimam himself Drico's Duplessis. So, Whitaker, the karate boxer, you know who it is. Worker fights mostly behind his jab, waiting for opportunities to set up big strikes, usually complex combinations made to set up either the overhand, a wild left hook, or a high kick, uh, with the use of shifts and doubling up on sides. He can score at range with the jab that I already mentioned and a variety of kicks, but he's a bit uh, a bit kickable himself as he fights so loaded on the front foot. But Whitaker is also a counter threat because of that. He has always the, the right hand ready to go. And he's also dangerous with the left hook. He has good footwork and practiced head movement during his combinations keep him safe. But he can vulnerable to counters during prolonged exchanges and also when he's blitzing in. Uh, during prolonged exchanges because... Uh, His steps with his footwork and his slips with his head movement are very, like, exaggerated and can leave him with no options, as we've seen in, like, many exchanges that we had with Alessanya. Whitaker is athletic, quick, strong, good cardio, and all of that makes his well-put-together game even more dangerous, as he can control fights with his jab, figure out the right approach to set up more damaging strikes. Whitaker has excellent wrestling defense and scrambling, and also a solid offensive wrestler, especially when he can find like clean double leg takedowns. And on the other hand, we have Duple C, an awkward front foot loaded striker, closes distance a lot with marching one twos and add hooks to the combinations if the opponent stays their ground. Uh, Despite that, he has good feel for counters and will throw back with power in the pocket. He's a powerful kicker too and has a decent variety and technique to his kick, but doesn't have much in the way of setups. He goes very hard for takedowns, be it single legs in open space or doubles and body locks against the cage. He's not a technical wrestler, (laughs) but he's very physically strong. Uh, But actually he has like decent BJJ and also like he's very physically strong. So that allows him to work his way out. Uh, of sketchy situations or get back to his feet, but from top position, he, I think he makes a lot of like mistakes, then his control is not very good from top. Uh, With Duplessis, the thing is that he usually gets tired during fights, but he's very good at fighting tired Um, and sometimes like weirdly like being tired helps him to, to like settle and fight a bit smarter on the feet, I feel and Duplessis very, very tough and durable. So despite all his flaws, Duplessis does have a lot of good qualities that have allowed him to win consistently in the UFC. Not only his physical attributes like his power, durability and ability to fight tired, but also like the mental fortitude and some surprisingly decent good decision making. For every incredibly stupid lad drop (laughs) <laughs> he ends up on bottom-mouth position. There's a moment in which Dricos Duplessis decides to push the pace or waits for a counter. And that has been a big part of what allows him to take over fights when opponents uh, start to implode. That being said, I just don't see Whitaker imploding on the way that Teal or Bronson did, uh, nor I expect him to tire and lose the grip of the fight like Tavares did. Weiraker is a fighter of too much quality, uh, bar a low chance of a knockout by Duplessis, I do not see Robert losing here. Weiraker's jab, footwork, and his sword athleticism and cardio, in my opinion, allow him to win an, a comfortable unanimous decision. And with that, we are already on the co-main event. And it's a good one. It's the third one between Brando Moreno and Alexandre Pantoja for the flyweight championship. Moreno defending here. So Pantoja versus Moreno. Even though the second fight was five years ago, I still think it's very relevant moving into this one. But you gotta like, recontextualize what happened. The fight was mostly dominated by Pantoja's ability to counter and attack inside Moreno's looping shots, and also punish his retreats and resets with straight shots and leg kicks, the two most important things that have changed in these years is that Moreno's jab has improved a great deal, and Doja's gas tank has seemed to have deteriorated, sadly. Moreno's jab will probably give him the ability to have a better grasp of the exchanges, and we know he can win exchanges when they have in, the, in his terms, because he was winning the exchanges pretty confidently in the first fight that they have in the Ultimate Fighter house before he started succumbing to the pressure of Pantoja. But Pantoja still has a lot of qualities to bring to this matchup. He still has the power, the toughness to just get inside and trade with Moreno. And despite some technical flaws that Pantoja has, he's a calm fighter inside the pocket. He can see shots coming, he can evade, he cracks hard. And he can make sure to make opponents pay for their own flaws. And that was the tale of the second fight, like... Both guys have some eccentricities to their style, but Pantoja was making sure to punish Moreno every single time that he put his head out of position, that his feet were a little bit janky, that he retreated on on a straight line. Pantoja was there to punish him immediately. The leg kicks could still be a factor in this one. Uh, Moreno has tried to address them, going into a more narrow stance and then widen it a bit to jab, like he did against Kara France, but leg kicks could work as a counter to the to Moreno's jab, and will probably still work during resets and retreats. The grappling is always a wild card for Pantoja, as he's one, he's one of the best scramblers in the sport. Moreno is not far behind as a scrambler; he's very good, but I still think Pantoja is ahead, as he has won all the conclusive grappling exchanges the two of them have had in the past. I think at the end. Uh, it is like a crossroads between Moreno's improvements and Pantoja's decay and they meet just at the right place to give us a very compelling matchup, but one that the Mexican wins this time around. I, see, I say this sadly because I'm a huge Pantoja fan and hopefully he can pull it off, By if I'm made to pick and I'm here to make picks, I'm picking Moreno by decision and he retains his title. And with that, we get finally to the main event, Alexander Volkanovski, featherweight champion, moved up to 155 to try to win that title, came up short. He fights Jair Rodriguez, who in that same event won an interim title for 145. And now we settle for the undisputed champion. This one is a tricky one for the champion too. you know, Uh, Jair fights very long, is an active kicker from both stances and Volkanovski has had some trouble against kickers and against soundbots. Jay has certainly gotten more clever with his striking through the years, as he bursts his attack wells and makes use of good rhythm manipulations to get away with naked kicks on the outside. His footwork is not the most technical, but he's mobile, athletic, he's long as well, and he can use those attributes to make the task of pressuring him a lot harder than it would seem. On the inside, Rodriguez has quick hands and he can put combinations with good pop in them. Rodriguez is also very aggressive and urgent from his back, looking to regain guard and immediately land elbows, create space with his feet on the hips, and also has a very good triangle and armbar series to either finish fights or scare fighters off. So that said, I think there are still flaws for Volkanovski to exploit here. And also a lot of qualities that Volkanovski have that will probably allow him to get to those points. First, Volkanovski is an active fainter with impeccable footwork. So the chances of him like getting stuck at long range against the kicks of Rodriguez are certainly lower than those of Josh Emmets, for example. And even there, he has like a good job and leg kicks both to the inside and the outside, and that will help him to not being like a sitting dog as Emmett was. On the inside, Rodriguez is quick and dangerous, but so is Volkanovski. We we cannot forget that uh, Volkanovski also carries better positioning and is better at hiding behind his shoulders and seeing shots in that kind of exchanges. Jair was hit clean by Emmet on the inside for his tendency of not moving his head and not hiding his chin when on long combinations. Here and there, Jair can also move his head well when he's put on the defensive, but there's a disconnection between his head movement and his feet. We've seen him having to turn his back to opponents a lot while trying to avoid combinations because his feet get in pretty bad positions when he's, uh, he starts uh, sleeping and dipping super low. We cannot forget that Volkanovsky is a very strong wrestler. Uh, maybe Max Holloway being a tremendous defender of takedowns made people forget, but hopefully everyone remembered that how good of a wrestler Volkanovsky is with his brilliant performance in that department against Islam Mahachev. And not only that, but he's very punishing from the top position. I I mean, he used to be a top game guy. And then in the UFC, like his wrestling wasn't like cutting it so much. So he became one of the best strikers in the sport. But now that he's a better striker, he has more avenues to exploit the wrestling. So yeah, Volkanovski from top position, he has rise, the risk control, and even inside the guard, he's brutal with ground and pound, putting his uh, sh- uh, short frame to good use. Just ask Brian Ortega, you know. It is certainly a margins fight, uh, not a free one for Volkanovski at all. I think if I'm made to say who is the better fighter of these two, I think Volkanovski, like hands down, no question about it. But head to head is very close. Like Jair presents a lot of interesting challenges for the Australian but I don't know man at this point I just expect too much from Volkanovsky. he has the tools to win this as I said uh, he can compete in everyone he just needs to put it together while Jair has more room to be himself in this fight I feel but even even apart from all the tools that Volkanovsky has Volkanovsky has the the other card of always coming excellently prepared both on tactics and game plans to deal with opponents and I think that's that's the thing man I mean Jair can certainly win this fight he has the length the kicks huge power uh, good gas tank chin Jair has everything he's an elite fighter for sure but I just expect too much from Volkanovski at this point maybe I'm wrong but I gotta pick Volkanovski by decision and that's the whole card, ladies and gentlemen. Just very good, to be honest. Like, maybe some of you think that this is lacking on name recognition, but I think the most of the fights, except the, the late-notice replacements, are very well matched. If you want recommendations from down in the card, the opening between Kamala Kirk and Steven Rybovich is going to be a high-action fight. I have no, do- no doubt about that. Shannon Ross versus Aguilar is going to be action. Uh, What else? What else? What else? What else? Jimmy Groot versus Manningfield 1 was a good scrap. I mean, not great, but it it is like heavyweight, you know? Um, Maybe these games come with more fire into this one as it is a rematch. Uh, One that probably is flying under the radar for a lot of you: uh, Hauregi versus Denise Gomes. It's going to be a very fun fight. Remember me when when um, you watch that fight. And if it sucks, don't remember me, please. I never said that. Uh, sadly, Jack Della Maddalena. I mean, it's always fun to see him, but I wanted him to see him against a good opponent. Uh, Robbie Lawler, maybe if he wins, that could be a feel-good moment. If Nico Price gets a meme, it's going to be very sad. Nothing against Nico Price, but, you know. And then on the main card, The top four fights are like, you gotta watch them. You know, Dan Hooker versus Jalen Turner is going to be nuts for as long as it lasts. Widogar versus Duplessis will have us (laughs) on the edge of our seats. Uh, Can Duplessis pull it off again? Uh, The most elite fighter that he has ever faced? I don't think so, but who knows? It's going, I'm going to be excited watching. And Komen, it sucks that Pantoja is on the older side in his fight career here, but I think he he has a shot, man. He has a shot. Should be a good one. The, the two previous fights were messy, were were grindy, were, were dirty. And I expect the same for the third one. And then you have the main event and it's very, very compelling. Uh, Volkanovski, the best fighter in the world, fighting a very, very hard matchup in Jair Rodriguez. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for this one. Uh, That's it, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Remember to support the Fight site on Patreon. Uh, You can join our Discord server, a lot of cool people over there, and you get access to a big catalog of exclusive content, and we're putting out more soon. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, especially video content that we cannot put on YouTube or other platforms. You can find it there on the fight site Patreon. And finally, remember that the full preview podcast is brought to you by Ex Martial. a combat sport brand dedicated to supporting the jiu-jitsu community. Their goal is to create a fun training environment with unique and exciting designs and promote the gym culture we all love. Ex offers a range of products, including rash guards, shorts, spats, keys, streetwear and training equipment. Use code the site to get a 10% discount on your order now. That's the site, all cases, no spaces. And for the best deals and discounts, sign up for the mailing list and follow their socials at xmarshalofficial. So thank you, xmarshal, for sponsoring us. Remember guys to follow me on Twitter. I put a lot of cool content out there. Uh, probably leaving Twitter in the future because the site is dying, but I'll let you guys know. Remember I put a link to the podcast I was with Dan Tom. He's great. The conversation was great. So check that one out if you haven't already. I'm Fenyo from The Fight Side. Thank you guys so much for listening. This this podcast is a lot of work. but So I hope you guys enjoy it. And I'll catch you guys on the next one.